maybe you've had a day like this. She says, it was just one of those days. The washing machine broke down. Got a splitting headache. The mailman brought an extra bill she wasn't ready for. The phone was ringing off the hook. And just as she was there at her, at her final breaking point, her, her young baby begins to just cry and cry. And she's... <sighs> she picks up her baby, though. Sets him in his high chair and sits down with him. And she begins to cry. Then, without a sound or anything... Her young boy takes his pacifier out of his mouth and sticks it into hers. <laughs> Might I suggest, friends, there are times when we just got to take the pacifier out of our mouth. Hmm? Y'all with me? There are times we need to decide ourselves to say, you know what? This ain't, this ain't working. But what about if you're having one of those days and then one of those days gets coupled with another one of those days? And then what if those one of those days gets paired with another few of one of those days and then one of those days becomes this incredible time and then these days aren't just filled with broken appliances or reminders about bad credit or headaches or anything else like that. What if one of these days are filled with things like cancer? What if one of these days are filled with, you tell me, how do we respond then? Sadly, um, I think, I've heard far too many people make a mistake and reply to those kinds of situations with the same kind of answer that we have for our young mother just can't do that all the time. We have to learn how to respond, if we will, to this idea of suffering, what we might call, for our purposes today, innocent suffering. Now, of course, the book of Job, for a long time, has been a source that many have used to answer, to look at this question of innocent suffering, right? We, we hinted at this last week, remember? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the innocent suffer? For a long time, I think it, it, it's good for us to remember that if you were suffering, then what that meant to everybody else was that something was in you that you had to get right. That if you're suffering, you're sick, whatever, you just need to fess up to it, own it, and things will be okay. That is exactly the idea that the book of Job was written against. Look at the interaction. If you remember the story of Job, Job and his friends, what are they telling him over and over? Well, Job, if you would just confess to God, everything would be okay. Job says, don't need anything. If you just come clean, we, we can move on, everything would be fine. Job says, 
you remember Job? Do you remember how Job starts out? Anybody? God and the heavenly beings, if you remember from Job chapter 1 and even Job 2, they're having an ad board meeting one day. And I want you to look at that, and I want you to look at that relationship between God and, and Satan, or God and the accuser. I want you to look at that carefully. I want you to see what's going on. But God says to uh, Satan, hey, what have you been doing? Satan says, oh, nothing, just walking to and fro. You know how it is. And then God says, have you considered Job? Now, I'm going to be very honest with you, and I want you to be very honest with you, too. Does that disturb anybody else? See, we're used to being told in church, you know, you keep on and you fight on and you do what you're supposed to do. One day you'll get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How did that work out for Job? Have you tried this one, Satan? Does that make anybody else a little uncomfortable? Yeah, I know Job. Everybody knows Job. But Job is only so faithful to you. Job is only so righteous because you take care of him. I bet if you took everything away from him, then he'd curse you. What God says? All right, have at him. That not bother anybody else? God says, you take everything from him. Don't take his life. And little by little, Job loses his family. Job loses his possessions. Job loses his health. Some people say Job lost his hope. And he's got nothing. I gotta think that as I'm Job sitting there with these sores covered in me and all these sores, and I've lost everything, you know, every once in a while I've got to ask the question why? Again, why? In this first part of the story, we said, is this ongoing conversation between Job and his friends. And Friends, yeah, they, they, the story says that they were friends. They came from afar because they heard about the suffering of Job. And you know, they, they probably wanted to console him. Job, come on, just fess up. I got nothing, Job says. And Job gets to a point in our reading that we had a few moments ago. And he says that, you know, if I, if, if I could only find God to tell God my case, and I hope you notice There's just like this courtroom feel about it, right? Job said, I'd fill my mouth with arguments, right? And and God would hear my case. But you know what? I look forward. I look backward. I look left, right, north, south, everywhere in between. And I can't find God. All I've got is dark. Anybody else ever felt like that? Everywhere I look, I can't find God. 
There's a story we have printed about one of our hymns, something we usually do. This hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Joseph Scriven was born in uh, Dublin and I guess lived a normal life and met the woman of his dreams and they were engaged to be married. And on the eve of their wedding night, his fiancée was involved in an accidental drowning and she died. And apparently, he didn't really get over that, as I don't think you really ever do. But he, he tried to move on and eventually found himself living in Canada, decided, I, I got, it's got to leave. Whatever reason, left his family and everything else and began to, to live in Canada. I believe the city is called Cape Hope. And he became known sort of around with the locals as the Good Samaritan of Cape Hope. And the story is told kind of, kind of sets, gives you an idea of what kind of guy he was, uh, that he would walk around quite often around town with a saw in his hand. And that one day a, a well-to-do uh, man saw him walking down and said, Who's that, Who's that guy? He looks kind of fit. I think I'm going to get him to do some work for me. He's got a saw in his hand. And the clerk said, Well, who is that? said, well, that, that's so-and-so, but if you can pay him, he can't do the work for you. If you can pay him, he won't do the work for you. He set out in his life to do work for the widow and the orphan. Uh, his faith and his life was built around much of what we see in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As he's living, he meets another uh, woman and falls in love with her, but watches her die of pneumonia as well. I got to believe also somewhere in his life the question of why comes up. Or, you know, again, really? Sometime later, he, his mother, who is still uh, back home, is aging and she is ill and he wants to send her something, but he has nothing of material value to send her that would help her. The only thing he has is a poem that he wrote entitled, Pray Without Ceasing. And this poem was written for her to have hope and encouragement as she went through that, as all of them endured whatever it is they were going through. She could have that hope. And that while he didn't have material possessions, he had the hope of a friend, a friend in Jesus. And so he sent her this, this poem. And years later, he is sick himself, and a friend comes to visit and happens to see the, the poem on his desk or, or whatnot and says, did you write this? And I said, well, no, not entirely. Uh, the Lord and I worked it out together. Later on, it was put to a song, and it's the song we, many of us know, and the one that we'll sing today. Now, the tendency, I think, for many ministers that I've heard, for any, a lot of things I've seen written is to stop right there because, uh, you know, he found something good and he was able to, to, to overcome and to at least know for sure and, and there's some good that's made out of it. Too often I think that's where we end in church. And that's good sometimes. But I don't think it always helps us for when we walk out the door back into the world where we're at. Because as I'm sure some of you know, for all the good that there is to celebrate, there's a lot of bad too. 
bad things do happen to good people. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So maybe we can say, well, only bad things happen to God people, too. We don't sign up to relieve ourselves of all of life's pains and turmoil because they don't go away. So instead of stopping right there, I think we can look at the story of this man and look at his faith and his witness because depending on who you read, just like everybody before him and everybody after him, he passed away, but he was also involved in a drowning incident. Depending on who you read, it was either an accident or it wasn't. Nobody's entirely sure. And I think that can help us realize that in all the good that we make room for, we probably have to be ready to make room for that as well. There's no way around that. It's okay to say, what a friend we have in Jesus. And and that's what the the Hebrews reading reminded us, that we don't have a high priest that is just up there, far away from us, but that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus knows our every illness, our every brokenness. And he has compassion. But the story of Job also reminds us Sometimes we're left to wonder, where on earth is God right now? It's hard to find God sometimes. But I can tell you, One way we can find God is through God's Word. That's what Hebrews speaks of. And most of us understand that to be, you know, God's Word right here. And let me tell you that this is, this is a blessing from God. It's been passed down for us. And we can find comfort and we can find conviction and we can find encouragement. We can find affirmation. You know, for example, you know, the, the words that we read in the Old Testament, we can be sure that these are pretty much the same words that our Lord Jesus read himself. Hebrews reminds us that the Word of God is alive. And as you and I look at words on a page, it's not the words on the page, it's the Spirit that moves in us. But then it's not only that. Because this is the Word of God. This is not God. This is the Word of God. And God uses many ways, I think, to be active in our lives. If you've ever received that phone call or that card or letter <laughs> exactly when you needed it, you know what I'm talking about. Or even that song that, that reminded you of the presence of God that just, that just kind of helped you focus in on that. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe even, you know, God forbid, right, one day a minister says something to you that, that really is kind of encouraging, right? Wouldn't that be a surprise? funny in a sad way, isn't it? What about or, or in a prayer meeting 
whether you praying, you know, in your closet with your, your pillow stuffed over your head yourself or you praying uh, amongst God's other people, then you know what I'm talking about. That God's word is alive and it moves in many ways. We do have all this good to be thankful for and to praise God for. And if you're at a point right now where you, yeah, I know, God's okay. Me and God are okay. I hope we can learn to say, you know, praise God. Hallelujah, right? But sometimes, I'll confess, I hope you can see it too, there's a lot of wondering to be done. But in those times, God can be found. Because God's word is living and it's active. We have all this good, we have all this bad. Our job is to figure out how to be faithful to God in the middle of it all. And friends, good or bad, God is with us. In Jesus' name.